right now. She gives the same hug. She just doesn't know it. Um, I am a true Al-Anon, and if you have any doubt, I want you to know I have clinics, a bottle of water, a cup of water, my notes. Uh, I've been prayed up by a very, very dear friend. Um, I, I feel intimidated by um, the Al-Anon speaker right before me. Thank you so much, Marie, for putting me in my place. The Al-Anon the, the speaker who said he found out last night that he was going to speak today, and my God, he blew me out of my seat. I've known for a year, and I'm not sure what I'm going to say yet. <laughs> Um, I do, before I go any further, though, I want to thank Bonnie and the committee for inviting me. I want to thank you first before I tell my story, because you may not be so glad you asked me after I tell it. Um, I want to tell you all who live in this area what a jewel you have in Blanca. Um, I met her last night, and it was instant. Um, she said we talked for maybe 20 minutes, but we told our whole life story. But Al-Anons can do that, you know. Uh, we don't have to mess around. We just get right to the nitty-gritty. Um, I think her husband was there, but we've learned to ignore the alcoholics, so that's all okay. Um, And there's one other thing that I want to ask you all before I really get into my talk today. Have you all noticed that little bottle of lotion that's in the bathrooms? It's so nice at the hotel to leave that for us. Al-Anon, it said, relaxing body lotion. Now, I want you to know I smeared that all over me, and I am not relaxed yet. But I am trying very hard. Um, I've always wanted to be a true daughter of the South since I was born and raised in Texas. And I've always wanted to just perspire, but I sweat. And, uh, okay, that's probably more information than I needed to give you right now. So I'm just going to start by saying, hi, I'm Rennell, and I'm a truly, truly grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon and Alateen. Big breath. Hi, Texas family. I've always wanted to say that. I am so glad to be here. Um, Since April of 1992, I have not found it necessary to plan a homicide or a suicide. I have thought about them. I just haven't planned them. Um, I also want to declare that I am not an expert or a spokesman for Al-Anon. I'm speaking only of my experiences and the way I remember them. Uh, Through the courage that God has given me, and the hope of things to come through the promises and the principles of this program. Um, I'd like to to introduce you to my husband, Cal. He was not feeling well last night and didn't get to attend part of the meetings, but he is here now, Um, and I'm so glad. Uh, You see, he's the man who got me to San Antonio. He drove me to San Antonio, and he also drove me to Al-Anon. I love him more today than yesterday, but thanks to God, not as much today as I will tomorrow. And that's the gift of the Al-Anon program and the God of my understanding. He had more hair when I first met him in high school, and I had a lot less. Well, there was just less of me. Um, I um, didn't grow up in a home where there was any drinking. In fact, as a teenager, I have, I have natural curly hair, which doesn't like to be controlled. And I had heard in those days that if the drugstore was out of dippity-doo, that you could get uh, a bottle of beer and comb it through your hair and it would act as a setting gel. That was my introduction to alcohol. I did it through osmosis. 
Um, like I said, I didn't grow up in a drinking family, but I did everything I could to marry into a wonderful one just as quickly as I could. I, um, I believe that I was in training for Al-Anon from a very, very early age. I have two younger sisters, an older half-brother, and an older cousin that my parents raised. So I had the best of both worlds. I had these younger siblings that I could practice caretaking on. And I had these older siblings that were like a second set of parents that loved and nurtured me and never told me I did anything wrong and just encouraged me along the way. So it was absolutely perfect. I grew up in Fort Worth, but my parents came from the farm. Um, they had struggled through dust bowls, bowl weevils, the depression, really, really hard times. And they taught me the principle of the American way. And that is to, to work hard in life, put your shoulder to the wheel, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you can have or be anything you want. And that's what I grew up with. Um, later I found out that I had not always... Um, applied those things in just the right amount. Uh, maybe I was pushing against the wrong wheel. It was somebody else's wheel. I pushed a lot of times. But um, as an adult, I took this feeling and I felt like that this meant that I was always supposed to have the answer. Always. I was supposed to know the answer. And I was always supposed to know what to do in every situation. I came from a family where we had feelings and we felt each other's. Um, <laughs> I, I remember telling my mother when I was a young child that I had to stand up before my class in school the next day. And, and I said, Mom, I'm nervous. I'm kind of scared. And she said, no, 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 you're not. No, you're not, Renelle. You're my strong daughter. You're my smart daughter. You're not my weak one. Just get control of yourself. Um, <clears throat> I... Um, I I thought that day I was scared. Today I know I am. I thought that day I was scared, but when my mother said that I wasn't, I kind of believed her and and I went on about it. I have an eye that was damaged when I was born, and I don't have control over that lid. And so I was told by my family to never look up without moving my head or to not look down without moving my head because if I just moved my eyes, I didn't have control and things went funny and I should always have control and look straight ahead. Now, if I did that today, I would miss some absolutely beautiful faces in this crowd and I am so grateful that I don't have to do that today. If my eye does funny things, just wink back at me. It's okay. Um, the need to please and the need to, um, to be praised grew in me um, and, until I equated those two things with power. Um, like I said, I had these younger sisters, and the sister that's just two years younger than me, I talked for her. Mother wasn't sure she was ever going to learn to talk because all she had to do was point, and I would get her whatever she wanted. Um, I started doing this when I was three and she was one. I started real early training for Al-Anon. I didn't get here for a long time, but I w- had a lot of training. I'm slow, too. It's okay. Um, I, um, <clears throat> I remember when she started first grade. Um, she was fine on the playground, but as soon as the bell would ring, she'd cry. And I would say, it's okay, it's okay. I would walk her to her classroom, sit her down in her seat, and assure her that I would be there when the last bell rang, and everything would be okay that day. 
I don't know how I knew to do that. Nobody had done that for me. Nobody told me it was my job. I just knew instinctively that I was supposed to do that. Um, when I was seven or eight years old, um, I grew up just off the Jacksboro Highway in Fort Worth. Um, if you aren't familiar with the Jacksboro Highway, now I was just a block, so I had a lot of cushioning, but we didn't have um, bars or taverns or clubs. We had beer joints. That's what they were called in the days, and that was the days when um, there were, Fort Worth had a little bit of gangster problem at the time, maybe you all, this was after Bonnie and Clyde, but before the, per, the current ones, and, um, <laughs> and they liked to hang out on the Jacksboro Highway, um, but um, also on the Jacksboro Highway was the firecracker plant, and one day it blew up, and our home was the only home in the neighborhood that had a basement, and we knew what those white, it was that same white mushroom cloud, I can remember it today. Um, Fort Worth was fifth on the list of cities to be bombed by the Russians in those days because we had um, Carswell Air Force Base, it was a site base. And there was the bomber plant where they built the airplanes. And we thought that they had missed Carswell and hit just the other side of the lake. So we watched this giant mushroom cloud, white mushroom cloud grow, and it looked just like the ones on television. And my mother went out and got the other women in the neighborhood and the children and took them to the basement, but she wouldn't come in because she couldn't find one of my little sisters who was at another friend's house. And she refused to come in until all of her chicks were safe. Once again, I don't know how I knew to do this, but I knew that I was in charge of the people in the basement. I was supposed to entertain them and make them feel comfortable. I was supposed to be the hostess. Don't know why I knew that. Don't know why some other woman didn't take over, but they didn't. Um, <clears throat> this, um, this take charge attitude would continue to grow and manifest itself until later in life I would rob my family and my loved ones of their dignity. I can absolutely love you to death if you'll stand still long enough and let me. Um, I became in charge of their feelings, and I would say things like, don't you just hate that? I bet you were mad about that. Well, what are you going to do about it? Well, I would do them, and just off I would go. Um, I would tell them what to do with their jobs. I would tell them how to set their goals, what they were good at. Uh, my sisters, how to dress, how not to dress, all that sort of things. Um, when, I was, when I was five, though, I remember having this feeling, and I call it my first Al-Anon feeling that's referred to in our literature, as when I, when I wanted my outsides to be different from my insides. When you were five years old, you didn't have to pay to ride the bus, and mother didn't drive, and we had to go downtown for everything. And... I didn't have to pay, and I wanted to, because if you were six and you paid to ride the bus, no one knew if you were six, seven, eight, or ten, but it meant that you had arrived, and I wanted to pay, and I didn't, couldn't do it. So what I did was I would take a purse with me to town, and I would walk in front of my mother and sister, and I kept looking over my shoulder to make sure they were there. But my desire on the outside was, if I carried a purse, people would think I was in town by myself, that I didn't have my mother there. Of course, my insides knew better and continued to have me look over my shoulder just to make sure she was still there. I, um, 
I am not so um, so proud of all the things that I did, and I don't think it's necessary that I tell you all of those. But as I tell you that um, an alcohol has uh, an alcoholic has problems with drinking, I as an Al-Anon have problems with thinking, um, and these are some examples of them when I was very young. Um, when it got to the excessive levels. Um, I believe that's when I developed the ability to take a character asset and turn that into a defect by using it excessively. Uh, and, and by using it abusively, I found that it could damage you or it could damage me. And, um, and I didn't always know exactly which way it was going to go. Um, these were some things that I had practiced from my childhood into my teenage years. Um, in, in school, I was an excellent student. It was straight A. Um, went to a small school, knew everyone that was there. Um, loved it, loved my teachers, loved being in school, joined every club that there was to join. Um, always looking to fit in. Um, are you surprised I was a cheerleader at one time in my life? Um, I, um, I never hesitated to um, the arrogance in me, however, came from uh, because my dad was on the school board, <laughs> whoopee, big deal. Um, I never hesitated to go to the principal and superintendent of the school and let them know if I saw something that needed to be fixed that they probably had not had time to discover. <laughs> I would also go to the new teachers each year and introduce myself and say, You probably have already met my parents because my father's on the school board. I don't know why I thought that teachers in other grades that I would not have found that important to know, but I thought that they would probably want to know that. In high school is where I met Calvin. Um, originally, I picked him out for my younger sister. <clears throat> I thought that they would make an absolutely wonderful couple. And I tried every way to get them together, and so finally they dated, but it just didn't work out with them. I don't know why. They've never told me, but it just never it didn't work out with them. And I thought he was such a good catch that I would just take him for my own. Um, so I chased him and chased him and chased him until he finally caught me. <clears throat> Manipulation had already become part of my life at that time. Uh, when I was getting dressed to go out on that first date, I can still remember today that my sister said, you're not going to like him, Rennell. He's just not your type. So four years later, to show her she was wrong, I married him. <laughs> We'd had a long time to get to know each other. And um, I have to tell you what a catch he was. Um, he had the best flat top in Fort Worth, Texas. Probably Dallas. <laughs> My God. No lie, this is the honest truth. I think he would even tell you this. Guys would go into the barber shop and say, I want my hair to look like his. It's awesome. He had starched Levi's that the crease was so thick, you could slice butter with it. <laughs> he wore white socks and penny loafers, and what more could you want? The icing on the cake was that he was quarterback and captain of the football team. <laughs> it's better. He was also pitcher and catcher on the baseball team. And he had a leather jacket with leather sleeves that had patches down the sides. It said Captain All District All State Honorable Mention, all this sort of stuff. God, I knew it was going to look gorgeous on me. And I could hardly wait to go steady and get it. Um, <clears throat> we, um, water. <laughs> Sorry. His family was Czechoslovakian and very old in traditions, and I found this absolutely enthralling. 
absolutely fascinating. My family is a Duke's mixture of everything. We're the, you know, the Americans that are just all scrambled up. But his family had the old world traditions. His grandmother lived with them, and they spoke Czech so she could understand. I felt like an outsider, and I so wanted to fit in. Um, and, and I didn't because I didn't eat sauerkraut, and I didn't eat sausage, and I didn't drink beer. But he had said those magic words to me. It's our theme song. Don't remember those? Um, it's Elvis's song when he said, I want you. I need you. I, I love you. <clears throat> now, he didn't have to say the I love you. He had me with the I want you and I need you. Because I had this need to be needed and this need to be wanted. And, and love was just something extra. Um, I thought if I could speak the Czech language that I would fit in with the family and they would accept me. Um, so I asked them to teach me to speak Czech. I am fluent in two languages now. They taught me to say, Yaksimash, which means hello, how are you? And Steshpivo, which means do you want a beer? <clears throat> I didn't have to know anything else. I was now accepted by parents and aunts and uncles and everything else. Um, Every occasion in the family was a reason to drink. If somebody had a baby, let's drink. If someone died, let's have one for one last one for so-and-so who died. Um, <clears throat> I, I just found this fascinating, and I didn't understand it. I never saw anyone drunk in the family, but I never saw anyone not drink. And I was so fascinated. And they explained it very simply to me. They said, it's because we're Czech. I'm not Czech, what do I know? I believed him. It's just like when the alcoholic last night said that he needed to change places with me, and I said, okay, I don't know what's going on anyway, and I've always followed what alcoholics tell me, so okay, that's fine. James gave me some instructions about a form today, and, and I said, well, shouldn't you have them? And he said, you didn't follow instructions. But then al never do, and I said, I do. I always follow them from alcoholics. Always. So still to this day, I have things I need to work on. Um, he had told me, Calvin had told me that one thing he didn't like as a child growing up was that his dad would stop by the beer joint and play dominoes in the afternoon for hours after he got off work, and then he would come home and fall straight asleep and go to bed. And he didn't like that. And I said, well, that's real easy. Just don't do that when we get married. Stop and buy the beer, bring it home and drink. Everything will be fine. One more time, I had the solution for all of his problems. Um, we were married and had two absolutely beautiful children. A son first, and then three years later, our precious little princess, as we call her still to this day. Um, and as far as I was concerned, our marriage was complete and absolutely perfect. I don't recall drinking being a problem in those early years. I just don't. I think this is part of the... The um, illusion of the, um, not the illusion, the facts of alcoholism being so cunning, baffling, and powerful, um, both with the alcoholic and with the Al-Anon, because my thinking started to regress as his drinking started to increase. And, um, and I wasn't aware of either one of them. Um, 
it was kind of like molasses on a cold day, just very slowly, slowly, slowly creeping into your house. I didn't know it was an invited guest. I never would have opened the door had I known. Calvin changed um, careers and um, was going to be a salesman, and I didn't like that. I had heard all the salesman's jokes. I had told many of them myself, and so I didn't want him to be a salesman. I wanted him to punch a time clock because I knew he would go to work, and he would come home, and that kept everything nice and orderly. Well, he took this career, took on this new career as a salesman, and he did fantastically in it. It was just his deal. Of course, all of his customers like to have liquid lunches or like to stop and have a drink after work, and he explained to me that this was part of the industry. Every company did it, and I believed him and said, okay. And so um, in order to be a good wife, I felt like uh, I needed to support him in this job, and so I thought it was right that we have a well-stocked bar. So I set up an area in the home where we'd have a well-stocked bar, and he stocked it, and, you know, we were out to go. Um, just about this time, he said, um, well, he's climbing up the corporate ladder, and he has an opportunity to go into management. And, and it means tr- a transfer um, out of the United States. And he comes to me, and he says, it's the call of the wild again. I want you. I need you. I love you. And you'll be my partner in this. Well, now, I had arrived. My head was spinning. My knees were shaking. I could just imagine all these things that were going on, and I wasn't sure what my life was going to be like and what my job was going to be, but, boy, I was ready for it. I was now a wife, a mother. He was my best friend. I was his best friend, and now I was going to be his partner. So life just couldn't get any better. And we traveled on like this for quite some time. Entertainment was a big part of his job. Entertaining in our home was a big part of the job. Um, I, I didn't always understand that, um, the, I didn't understand the big part that drinking played. I didn't understand that, um, and the part that I was noticing most of the time at this time was that the drinking would be very heavy on a Friday night, and the only, um, consequences that I saw from that was that Saturdays had a slow start. Um, as things changed and, and um, as I became sicker in my disease, I could tell, it didn't matter what I had planned for the evening, I could tell what the evening was going to be like by the way he closed the door when he came home. And I knew right then and there if I was going to be able to go through with my plans or if now we were strictly into his agenda. And most of the times, we, most of the times, <laughs> all of the time we were into his own agenda. He either had a problem at work that we need to straighten out, or he was disappointed and angry with something that I had done or hadn't done. And we needed to address those issues. So we would sit down at the table, discuss the pros and cons, and then he would go off to bed because he needed his rest. He had to go to work the next day. I'd stay up all night long, rewrite the proposal, the pros and cons, list everything and the conclusion that we had come to, and then when he woke up the next morning, I would give him the written paper and send him off on his way to work and feel so good about myself because I was his partner. I never knew how much I was robbing my husband of his own ability to do these things for himself, what I was taking away from him. For that today, I am so ashamed. And I don't mind telling you that because I want to remember how it feels. I don't ever want to do that again. 
Um, <clears throat> there, of course, were those late nights that I would sit by the window, like some of you may have, and I would watch for the car lights to turn into the driveway. Then I would jump in bed and pretend to have been asleep all night. <laughs> One night, however, um, I didn't do that. I did something totally different. I was working on a Bible study lecture that I had to give the next day. And I was sitting at the table and had all my books spread out. And, and he had had a liquid lunch that day, and he was with his boss that night and some of their best customers. And he had called me several times, and I knew the condition he was in because I recognized that slur in his voice, and I begged him to come home. Please come home. I wasn't there to protect him. Please come home. He assured me that he couldn't come home, and... Um, and so I, I did something that I've never done before until that time. And I threw my hands up and I said, Dear God, you're going to have to look after him. I just cannot worry about getting him home safely tonight. I can't do anything about it. And I need you to take care of it. I have the responsibilities of looking after this Bible study lecture. And that's what I need to do. It was about three weeks later that he came to me and told me that he had received a letter from his boss that they believed he was an alcoholic. He had been to see our family doctor, and he was checking into a treatment center for alcoholism. And I want to tell you all that I fell on my knees, and I said, thank you, God, for answered prayers. I want you to believe that, but that is not what I did. Very quietly, I said to myself, God, did you have to get so carried away? I just wanted you to bring him home. <laughs> Be careful what you ask for in this program. Um, <clears throat> I, um, my knowledge of alcoholism at that time um, had not changed much from my alcoholism, my knowledge of alcoholism as a child. I had an imaginary friend. Her name was Mrs. Vernon, and we talked on the telephone every day. Mrs. Vernon had a lot of children. I was five or six years old. Mrs. Vernon had a lot of children, and they were always into something. But one morning we were talking, and she said to me, which I told my mother, Poor Mrs. Vernon, she has really had a bad day. Her husband came home drunk and he had chicken pox all over his clothes. Now I had heard the word drunk and I had heard chicken pox and I didn't know what either one of them was, but I could tell by the conversation I had eavesdropped on that neither one of them were good things. So I just put them together and that was the day that my imaginary friend was having. Um, and that was about how much I knew about alcoholism. I had seen all the westerns. I had lived a block off the Jacksboro Highway. That was not my husband. He had never, um, um, he had, had never had a, a DWI. He had never had a car repossessed. He had never um, lost a job. Um, he had a family. Um, this couldn't be happening. Um, I was so thankful for Family Week at the treatment center, though, because that's where I learned that alcoholism is a disease and not a disgrace. And I wish the rest of the world knew that. But it's a secret that we keep in the Al-Anon program for some reason, in the AA program, and we just can't seem to get it to the world out there. Maybe someday. Um, I was told to go to Al-Anon. I said, I'll check with my priest. 
<clears throat> two months later, my priest stood in the pulpit and said he was starting a 12-step program in our church. Um, when I was told to go to Al-Anon, I thought this is where you would give me my assignment as the wife of a alcoholic that was no longer drinking and what I was supposed to do in his recovery. I was very surprised. I went to my first meeting. You didn't ask me my last name. You didn't ask me my address. You didn't ask me where I lived or what my husband did or how old I was or any of those things that other organizations asked me about. And um, not only that, you kept talking about tools, but you didn't give me a toolbox. And I was pretty disappointed in that. Um, You said to come back to six meetings as close together as possible, which I did in that week. And... um, And then I cried, and I said, I don't understand why. I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've come to six meetings as close together as possible, and I still don't have a toolbox. And you still haven't asked my last name. And the group I was going to at the time said, please forgive us. We don't have newcomers. We haven't had a newcomer in a long time. And we talk in our Al-Anon jargon, and we forget that other people may not understand that. I only mention that to you in case you don't have a lot of newcomers. Remember what they went through, what you went through when you first came. Um, The first thing that I heard about in the program was detach. Did not like that. I had worked very hard to make We Two One. And um, I thought that's what we were supposed to be. And Velcro, detachment to me sounds like Velcro being ripped apart. And that's kind of what it felt like. When he went into the AA room and I was told to leave him alone and I didn't have any business with what went on in there, I felt like I had been ripped out of his life. The next thing I was told in Al-Anon was about the three C's. You didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. And what a relief. This was my first bit of relief. I thought this is absolutely fantastic. See, he had told me that anybody married to me would drink like he did. He had also told me that um, I would tell him, if you had an employee that drank like you did um, last night, you would fire them on the spot. You just would not put up with it. And he'd say, don't let me do that. (laughs) Watch me. Let me know if I've gone too far. So I would watch him. And... um, And I would let him know, and I would elbow him, or I could kick him, or I would do whatever else. And immediately he would order another round of drinks, and I didn't understand. When he said, I can't cure it, I thought, as a wife, it was my responsibility. It really was. No one else in his family was an alcoholic. They were Czech. (laughs) It had to be my fault that he was an alcoholic. And I should be able to cure that. Um, I don't know if he ever said this to me or not, but I did hear an AA say it in a, in a meeting one time, and he certainly could have. Um, this, this speaker said, um, my wife was an angel, and I know this because every time I came home drunk, she was harping. <laughs> and um, that would have fit. This is not about AA or Al-Anon, but he also told our neighbor one time that I had fixed surf and turf the night before. I had mixed hamburger helper and tuna helper. And I didn't think that was very nice either, but, you know. Um, I went to 90 meetings, and I went to 90 Al-Anon meetings in 90 days, and I went to one AA meeting a week. It was an open discussion AA meeting, and if I shared, I had to put $2 in the, in the basket. 
If I didn't share, I just put a dollar in. And I say that because if any of you in AA are needing to raise funds in your group, invite an Al-Anon, tell them that. They'll do anything to get an alcoholic to listen to them. I immediately jumped on a pink cloud. And I said, oh my gosh, this is the best thing since sliced bread chocolate pie or any other great thing out there. And I grabbed my pom-poms and I said, yay, serenity, yay, recovery, rah, rah, rah. And I couldn't believe that everything was so wonderful. I stopped everybody I knew and told them, go to Al-Anon. <laughs> it is wonderful. They all smiled and said, thank you very much. I don't think I've seen those people yet. <laughs> but I'm sure they'll find us one of these days. Um, I... Um, I had relief at that point, but I had no recovery. And today I know the difference. Then I didn't. And I'm so glad that I stayed around and got some recovery. Y'all may be doubting that about now, but I tell you, it does come. Um, About this time, because we were both working our own programs and we were very, very serious about it, the competition was in our family between us. And we were talking, he would say, well, in AA, we did so-and-so. And I'd say, well, in the Helenon program, we we believe so-and-so. And one night he said, do you know if it wasn't for me, you wouldn't have an Elanon program? <laughs> and I said, and you know what? If it weren't for you, I wouldn't even need one. <laughs> so um, I have found out later that that was not true. I needed an Elanon program whether I knew him or not. Um, he just happened to be the one that drove me to San Antonio and drove me to AA or to Elanon as well. Um, I, um, I later heard about the three A's. We talk a lot about the three C's, but we don't always talk a lot about the three A's. It's awareness, I mean, I'm sorry, it's awareness, acceptance, and action. I only knew there were two A's. I knew about awareness and action. There was nothing about acceptance in my life. Um, didn't like acceptance, didn't like surrender. Those were two words that, whew, don't want them to be in my vocabulary. Um, I became aware of a, pro, of a problem, and I immediately started looking for a solution. I didn't stop to think it wasn't my problem. It may be your problem. And I would knock you down to try and find an answer for you. Uh, you didn't even have to ask me to do so. I would just do it out of the kindness of my heart. Um, it was later that I was to understand that um, that acceptance also meant accepting the reality of today and means accepting the fact that I don't have to continue to be in the, in the sandbox. I don't have to continue to kick sand on somebody else. I don't have to continue to fight. I don't have to continue to tell you that my program is better than your program. I did a really tacky thing one time. We really did have a Saturday morning meeting. Our Saturday morning meetings in Arlington are big. We would have 30, 40 people in them. And the topic one time was song titles that fit the Al-Anon program. I stretched the truth just a little bit from that meeting, and I went home and I told my husband that we'd had a meeting that day, and we had uh, picked the Al-Anon theme song, and it's You Ain't Much Fun Since You Quit Drinking. And... He believed me. It took me forever to convince him that we didn't talk about them in our program. So I don't suggest that's anything that I've ever done that you might want to try. Um, My sponsor told me that um, uh, one of the ways I could practice acceptance was just to say, you may be right. So simple, you may be right. 
I later found out you weren't supposed to do it with your hands on your hips. That's not a very convincing posture to have. So um, just, you know, if you need that, you can tuck that away. Um, I... um, We celebrated our 29th anniversary with my husband in the treatment center. I did not know a month before that that he was an alcoholic. Um, I knew sometimes he drank too much, but some days he didn't drink at all. Some days he would have one or two drinks and everything would be fine. Another important thing, or three other important things happened about this time that I thought was a little bit tacky of the God of my understanding, and that is that I turned 50, went into the change of life, and my husband had become an alcoholic all of a sudden, overnight. Um, I thought that was a little bit much for anyone to bear all at one time, but um, I would put my shoulder to the wheel and pull myself up by my bootstraps, and I would find some way to get through this. And thank God you showed me the way. The only place in the Al-Anon literature that I know of where it tells us, do this and don't do that. And it's my very most favorite piece of literature. Um, the, um, the little booklet, um, Alcoholism, the Family Disease. The groups uh, that I was going to read those along with the steps and the traditions. And so I had them ingrained. I bought a pamphlet, cut it up, and glued it into my ODAD so that every day I could look at and I would pick out one do to try and do that day and one don't to try not to do that day. And that's where I started to really see the program. Um, I, um, I had stopped saying things to... Um, I had stopped saying things in meeting like, I think my husband is the beginning alcoholic. Maybe he's been one for six months. Um, and no one ever corrected me on that. Um, as I learned about, I'd always practiced, I thought I'd always practiced, the golden rule, and I learned about the silver rule. Don't do for others that which they can do for themselves. And um, I always thought I was supposed to do for you anything. It didn't matter. Um, so the first thing that I did was I gave my husband back his family. And I said, if your if your parents and your sister get cards at Christmas or on their birthdays or Mother's Days or whatever, it will come from you, not from me. For years and years, even before we were married, I had shopped for them, and then I would tell him what we were giving them. I talked for him to his family, and they talked to me to him through me. Um, it was not a good situation, and not everyone was happy about my decision to do that. But today, my husband and his sister have a relationship, and I'm so grateful. She didn't know she could talk to him, and now she does. Um, <clears throat> I, um, I also quit making doctor's appointments for him, and I quit taking his clothes to the cleaners, and he could decide how much starch he needed in shirts or if he wanted them folded or on hangers. I didn't know if these were the right things to do or not. I was walking on eggshells, but at least I was trying. I was trying to make a change in my life because that's what you had told me I was supposed to do. See, I was a child, and I learned to dance on my daddy's feet. We'd dance around the kitchen table, and he taught me how to dance that way. 
And that's how I've learned the Al-Anon program, walking where you have stepped before me. And I try and step in those steps as well. And that's what I've learned, and I want to continue learning that. My father is 97 and a half years old, and he's proud of that half. (laughs) Two years ago, he was still dancing. Um, He was in a retirement home at the time, and they had a band that came in on the weekends. And he would always invite me over, and sometimes I would go, and he'd say, Come on, daughter, let's do this one. And I loved it. Once again, I was transformed back to the little girl on my daddy's feet, and I loved that. And I taught our children to dance standing on my feet. And maybe that was part of my Al-Anon training and getting ready to get to you. Um, We had been in the program for three months. We had done these 90 meetings in 90 days. We were both sailing along smoothly. Um, I had always said that if Calvin just didn't drink, everything would be perfect in our life, and he wasn't drinking. And as soon as the eggshells were cleaned up, everything would be perfect. I came home from playing the best round of golf I've ever played in my life. I told someone earlier here that my golf in those days consisted of things like I would aim for a rock and pray for a bounce. So when I say I had the best round of golf I've ever had, I mean that seriously, it was the best one. And, and his car was in the driveway, and I was so excited to see him, and I couldn't wait to tell him about this round of golf I had had. And, and I thought he'd come home to get his clubs and go play golf with the customer, because that was part of work, too. Um, I, um, I said, um, let me tell you about my day. Let me tell you about my round of golf. And he said, let's go inside. We need to talk. Uh-huh. And we went inside, and he said, I have lost my position. We have to relocate. And the charges are sexual harassment. And my life fell apart. My shining armor, my knight in shining armor was not there. I did not know what to do. What were we going to tell the kids? I have no place to go. We have to move. The only man I have ever loved in my life, I can't trust any longer. But more than that, I can't trust myself because I have always trusted him. And I was so wrong. How could I have been so stupid? Why didn't I know this? I worked hard. I followed the rules. I kept my wheel, my shoulder to the wheel. I pulled myself up by the bootstraps. I set goals and I tried to, to meet them. I don't know what's gone wrong. This is not what recovery is supposed to be. We're in recovery. This is when life's supposed to get better. This isn't better. Um, It was real hard. Um, I came to understand that there's a phrase in AA, and I don't ever hear this in Al-Anon, but it's called, it describes this situation, and it's referred to as when the wreckage of the past rears its ugly head in recovery. And boy, it can And we don't talk about that, and we don't talk about what we're supposed to do. But one of the things that I am absolutely convinced of this day, way back there when I was working on that lecture for Bible study, God was bringing me along for this moment. Because if I had not had a God of my understanding that you had told me about, I always had God in my life. I just wasn't in his. He was a 911 God. He took care of third world countries. I took care of the rest. You taught me about another God. You taught me about a God that had answers for my life. I didn't even have to be a missionary if I worked step three. You know, it was okay. Um, 
I, I, I do firmly, firmly believe that God knew this way back then, and he was preparing me for this day, and preparing my husband as well. Thanks to Al-Anon and AA, and a lot of outside counseling, and a lot of prayers, and a lot of... Um, a lot of willingness to just be willing to be married. It was not easy. There were times the only thing we shared was a joint checking account and the same last name. Um, I, um, I am so grateful, though, that I had had this 30-day experience of, 90-days experience of the principles and the fellowship because you held me up and you, and you got me through it. Uh, the steps became even more important to me now than they ever had been. And I did the Al-Anon waltz over and over and over. Step one, two, three. Step one, two, three. Step one, two, three. Um, but I started to see where the steps really made sense to me. Step one to me was waking up physically. Step two was waking up mentally and emotionally. And step three was waking up spiritually. I also equate this to a radio with step one, I can plug it in. But step two says it's not going to work if I don't turn it on. And step three says if you really want to hear the good stuff, tune it in to the right station. And I still today like to think about my al program in that way. Um, I already had a sponsor because they had told me that I couldn't come to the um, the meetings at the treatment center if I didn't have a sponsor. Um, and, um, and I said to her one day, I don't know why this is happening. This is not supposed to happen. This is not supposed to happen in recovery. And she said, maybe it's happening, Renell, because someday somebody else will be experiencing it and you can help them walk through it. And I've had that opportunity. Oh. The wisdom of these people that have walked before us just still blow my mind. Um, I've learned that the 12 steps helped me to grow up. I've learned that the 12 traditions helped me to live as a grown-up. Um, <clears throat> I have learned that um, if I don't do these things, I will suffer from the dis-ease of loneliness, of the loneliness of loneliness, and that's where one more time in my life I will start to feel, and I can still do it today. Um, I am the only one that feels this way. I'm the only one that thinks this way. I'm the only one that acts this way. I'm the only one that lives this way. And I'm the only one that hurts this way. In steps four, five, six, and seven, I found out who I was. I wasn't just a mother, a wife, a friend, a daughter, um, a PTA officer. I found out who I was inside. Um... I found out that I had given over my rights and my freedoms and my moral values to others. What you thought of me, what you believed was more important to me than what I believed myself, and I was willing to give those things up. Um, I saw that I, how I had hurt others. Um, when Calvin's business was no longer mine, I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, now, I'm not going to tell you that I didn't watch him some, because I did. I had quit saying to him, you, you're going to a meeting tonight, right? Uh, you're going to read the big book today? I quit doing those things. But I did call my sponsor and tell her. 
that he was not reading the big book and he was not going to meetings. And I thought somebody ought to know this. She told me to double up on my meetings. Now, if you're ever tempted to do that, your sponsor may tell you the very same thing. So just beware. I pass that on for information. Um, My drug of choice has always been adrenaline. And keeping up with an active alcoholic is very, keeping up with an alcoholic anytime is very, very exciting. I loved it. So I didn't know what I was supposed to do with my life. Um, I had read the big book when he was in the treatment center. I got a copy of it, and I read it, and I had underlined. I had read it for him. I never showed it to him, but I read it for him, and I underlined the parts that were applicable to him. (laughs) And then I made notes in the margin that said, it'll be a cold day in hell before I ever see this happen, I bet. Uh, Or, oh, yeah, right, Uh uh-uh, no way, and all sorts of little things like that. I still have that big book today. I have another one that I have not written in, but I still have that one today so I can remember where I was. I don't ever want to go back there. I just don't. I think maybe they found out at World Service, and that's why they don't want us out and using it too. I don't know. I'm probably not that powerful. Um, <clears throat> I, um, I still struggle with the Al-Anon curse today, though. And I believe, the Al-Anon curse, as far as I understand it, is that I believe I know what's best for you. And the closer you are to me, the stronger that feeling is. Um, Being a sponsor has helped me a whole lot be a mother to our adult children. Um, and show them the respect that they deserve, the same respect we're taught to show each other in, in our meetings and in our program. Um, I've learned to get involved in service. I learned that very early. They just said, do it, and I did, like everyone else. I worked through group duties, uh, from fixing coffee and putting out literature to um, chairing meetings and, and being um, chairman for the meetings and uh, GRs and DR and information service rep and... Um, Currently, I'm the area public outreach person for Texas West. Um, I've been on women's boards, women's conferences boards, worked for the All Texas and did the RSS in Dallas. And I would not be where I am today, and I would not be able to do any of these things today if it had not been for this service that I have been offered the privilege to do. Um, at our meeting last night, at the Elanon meeting last night, we talked about recovery and service, and it was awesome what some of these people... I think the black belts were all here last night for that meeting. <laughs> they said some awesome things. Um, and that's what I just love. You know, my, my family of origin knows my real hair color. They know... <laughs> they know my real birthday. Um, they know my last name. They know my maiden name. They know all these things about me. know where I was born. But you, my Al-Anon family, know me on the inside. And you know where I hurt and you know where I have joy. And, and you know that I love an alcoholic. And I'm so glad I can say that today. And I'm so glad that I can honestly say that my life has been affected by someone else's drinking. But there is a solution. There is help if you're just willing. Um, if you really care about these programs... I'd be letting West Texas down. I feel like if I didn't at least do a little pitch for service. Um, If you really care about these programs, give it your best, and that's you. Don't let somebody else. There's always something that you can do. Greet the newcomer or something. Um, 
I have a granddaughter that has a, she's a cheerleader, and um, and I um, well I think the Elanon program I can see it in all areas of work, and so I have an Elanon cheer. Do I want to do it? Okay, it goes like this: Get right. So I'm going to explain it first. I'm the Elanon. <laughs> It's my cheer. <laughs> but that was good. I like your enthusiasm. It goes, get right, don't stop, let me hear your left foot drop, boom, be an Ellen on it. Um, now, that's the way the cheer goes. What it means to me is get right. Get right with the 12 steps. Get right with the 12th step. Have that spiritual awakening from working the steps. Be willing to go out there and tell someone else. <clears throat> Um, don't stop. We don't succeed at everything, but we do keep on trying, and we have the support of the group and the encouragement of others to tell us to do that. Let me hear your left foot drop. It's like the soldiers march away. Start on that left foot. Let's go out there and spread the word. Boom. Be an Ellen on it. If you had pom-poms, you can do it. If you don't, just put your hands in the air. I'd like for everybody to stand up now. <clears throat> There are some motions, and it goes like this. Get right, don't stop. Let me hear your left foot drop. Boom. Be an Ellen on it. Boom. Be an Ellen on it. Now try it. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, let's go. Ready? Okay. Get right, don't stop. Let me hear your left foot drop. Boom. Be an Ellen on it. Boom. Be an Ellen on it. Don't you feel awesome? Yes! Yes! Whoa! <clears throat> they say that alcoholics drinking affects four, at least four people. Why aren't our meetings four times as large as theirs? Why must we feel that we're keeping this a secret? If you really like it, it just gets bigger when we share it with others. And I really encourage you to do that. I'm just, (laughs) that was awesome. I just got chills. Want to do it again? No, we can't do that. Um, (laughs) But I'll meet you in the hallway outside if you want to. Um, I want to to take some time to tell you about our children. Um, Our daughter, our precious princess, is uh, very, very much in our life. By choice, she moved to Arlington, where we live. And uh, she was living in another city, and she moved there without a job and found one. And, and she's bought a house, and, and it's just awesome, and I love it. Um, she, um, she includes us in her life. She comes over and watches television, too. Uh, she... Um, she tells me what she's thinking about doing with her house, and then she asks me what I think about it. I can hardly wait sometimes for her to do that, because see, you told me that I can't give her my opinion until she asks for it. So, please, please, baby girl, ask. Um, she talks about how she wants to landscape her yard and all these things that she wants to do with this first home of hers, and it's just so exciting to see her do this. But something else that is so exciting for me to watch is the way she talks with her dad. They talk about business. They talk about the corporate world. She talks about her fears. She talks about her problems. And she talks about her goals. And she talks about her excitements. And I get to keep my mouth shut. 
and I get to watch the two of them together, and I don't have to talk for either one of them to the other. They can do it themselves, and I love it. Yeah, that's what recovery is. So that I don't lead you to believe that everything is perfect in Arlington, Texas. Our son also lives there. Only he decided... (laughs) It's not him, it's her. Um, He decided... Uh, He decided some years back that he was not going to actively participate in our family. And this was just about the time that his, his son was born. And this broke my heart. It's been 10 years now, and I don't know when he cut his first tooth or when he learned to walk. I don't know what his teacher's name is. I have people come to me, though, because our last name is unusual, and they tell me things like, I have a friend that has a child that has a friend's name. Could he be your grandson? Um, I have people that, that tear things out of the newspaper and say, this looks like your name. Could this be your grandson? Is he involved in this? God lets me know these things that are going on in his life. I have a, a mother-son relationship with my child, with my son. He calls me on my birthday. I call him on his. And sometimes he calls me on Mother's Day. And I am grateful when he does, and I'm sad when he doesn't. But I heard in a meeting one time that if it isn't good yet, that's because God isn't through with it yet. And I believe that God can mend this road and get us back on the same highway again instead of having to be on excess roads on the side. Um, and that's my hope for today. Um, I, um, I have to tell you, though, that this wonderful God of my understanding is, as Blanca had told you earlier, did the most miraculous thing. Our children's God sister was pregnant at the same time our daughter-in-law was. And she delivered two months, almost to the day afterwards. And she delivered triplets. Two boys and a little girl. So we have big princes and now we have little princes. (laughs) And sometimes the princesses don't like each other. Uh, (laughs) They're very very protective of their kingdoms. Um, but, um, But she came to us and said, My father's dead. My husband's father is dead. My mother is very ill with cancer. All of these things, of course, we knew, but this is what we didn't know. She said, and my children need more grandparents. Will you be their extra grandparents? And I was there in the delivery room. Not in the delivery room. I was in the hallway. There were too many people in the delivery room. (laughs) The doctors were saying, three teams of doctors and nurses and, and all this other stuff. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. I thought it was the football game going on. I didn't know what it was. But everybody was ready, and so here they came, baby A, B, and C. We didn't know who they were at that point, and their parents would not tell us what they were having. It was a surprise. And what a gift. What a gift. It's a blessing, Ben. I don't know the details of my grandson's life, my biological grandson. But the God of my understanding gave me three babies that are almost the identical age of that grandson. And I have bathed them. I have taken them to the doctor. I'm a a room mother at school. I volunteer at school for things. We're on the emergency phone list for them. What a blessing. 
We take them on vacation, and you should see when two gray-haired, well, one gray-haired person. (laughs) And his young wife um, walk in with four children. The big surprise is they not only had triplets, but two years later they had a miracle child that even the doctors didn't think they would ever have. And now we have baby Chase. And he says Papa Cal is his very best friend, but he thinks Nana's pretty good too. (laughs) I've had to practice my Al-Anon program on these babies. Um, One of them, they're so different in personalities, one of them is extremely responsible and always has been. Um, One of them is... He'll be coming. I'm not sure which room, but save a chair. Um, <clears throat> he uh, just has a different drumbeat going on in, in all him. He had lost his baseball glove. Um, and so I said to the responsible one, when you go to practice today, would you look for your brother's glove? This was a couple of years ago. And he said, it's not my job, Nana. <laughs> I said, oh. Honey, I know that. I said, I know that. I know you have your glove. You know where everything is. But you know how your brother is, and you're the responsible one. So if you would just ask the coach, have you seen my brother's glove? You know, then we can. He said, it's not my job, Nana. (laughs) I didn't even understand what I had done. I was just so frustrated about this expensive glove this child had lost. And, And... After I left their house, I was on my way to a meeting. And so I shared this in the meeting. Someone there shared with me that I was sort of like the alcoholic that gave up hard liquor to drink beer. I had given up controlling my husband's life, and now I was taking on my grandchildren, and I didn't see it. So when I got home after that meeting that night, I called that grandson and I made amends to him immediately because I knew I couldn't go to sleep if I didn't. I didn't learn it all at that point, though. Later that year, they had big major projects. Big, big major projects. One of them was building the Titanic. One was building, these were all 3D deals, one was building um, a skateboard park. And the other one was building the barn scene from, um, who's that spider in the pig? Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web. And I kept trying to tell one of them, who just wanted to rush through his project, that if he would do this, it would look more exciting. It would have more flair and more color to it. And it would probably help his grade. And he kept saying, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And I quit when he said, Nana, whose project is this? This year when they were given their assignment for their big project, guess what Nana did? They called me and said, we need some help. And I said, what do you need me to do? So with my 10-year-olds, I can treat them just exactly like I do my adult children or my sponsees. I can say, what do you need from me? And the children sat between my legs and learned to sew on my sewing machine. They pushed things through, and I applied the pressure. And this thought came to me, this is exactly like God does me. Now, I'm not telling you all I think I'm God, but I'm just saying that (laughs) God lets me touch things, but he's the power behind everything I do. And I thought it's wonderful how I can see God in my life. I, um, I, uh, I want to tell you about making some amends that I had to make, or that I got to make. 
My mother was in a nursing home with Alzheimer's. She had been there for years and years and years, and she had reached the point that she didn't speak any longer, and I wasn't even sure that she knew me. And I would call and say, is mother awake? And they'd say yes, but by the time I drove and got there, she was asleep, and we couldn't wake her up. And, and so one day I went, and she was awake, and this was the day that God nudged me and said, make your amends. So we went to that, put her in the wheelchair, and we went down to the, the lobby and to the living room area, and, and I held her hands, and I made my amends. And I don't know if she understood a thing that I said. And I don't know if it meant anything to her. We couldn't communicate any longer. But on that day, on that day, without being able to speak a word out loud, she said, and I saw her mouth form the words, I love you. And I knew that I was right with God for what I had done. I also got to make amends to my mother-in-law. I blamed her for so much. If she had been a good mother, if she had done the things that she should have done, if she, if she, if she, then I would not have had so much to do when we first married. This woman was an absolutely magnificent cook. She introduced me to Czech dishes that were homemade. She made her own sauerkraut, fermented it under the house in crock jars, and I've got her crock jar today. Um, she made everything from scratch and it was absolutely wonderful and she fed me on this food that she loved to cook and later in the nursing home when we came to visit her in San Antonio one time I got to feed her a coke float which was one of her favorite things that she wasn't able to do for herself at that time when she died my husband and his sister allowed me to help participate in planning her funeral. What a gift. It's the last thing that I could do for her, and I was so pleased that they wanted to include me in it. God makes things right for us when we're ready. Um, I, um, I have learned a number of things about the program. Um, I have learned that Meetings are filling stations, not dumping grounds. If you can't share a solution, you're only sharing the problem. Uh, I've learned to ask a clerk before they ask me, how is your day going? And are you having the kind of day that you wanted to have? There was a time I could have been banned from Walmart. And, um, And this is my way of making amends to do that today. It surprises an awful lot of of um, clerks. I've learned that um, to kneel down or bend over when you're talking to a child, nothing uplifts another person as when you look them straight in the eye. It works for adults as well. One of the greatest things that I've learned, however, is that my husband retired a few years ago and we can't exist in the same place. I didn't think we were going to be able to do that. Our house became very, very small when he moved into my territory. I had to keep remembering that 44 years before, this was the person that I could not sit close enough to in a car, hold his hand long enough, be with him every minute of the day. I wanted him totally for myself, and now I want to scream, get out of my face and get off my back. 
I didn't realize that he was just as displaced as I was too. So one more time, I got a lesson in, in learning, learning how to try new things. We went to the financial planners, and they said, um, you know, to set things up for us, and they said, um, well, now that you're retiring, where would you like to live? And, and my husband said he would like to live on, at one of these golf communities, you know, um, they're always out in the country somewhere, and they're very pretty and all that sort of stuff. And, I, and he said, and where would you like to live, Renelle? And I said, I'd like to live in a, a loft apartment in downtown Fort Worth. And he said, well, I need to tell you, you don't have enough money to do both of those. <laughs> and how long have you been married? And we said, oh, about 40 years now. You know. And he said, well, you're probably going to make it. I'm not sure, though. You may have to do some negotiating. And we've learned to do that. And one of the things that we negotiated about was we, were remodeling, we stayed in the house that we've been in, and we've done some remodeling along the way. And our kitchen is one of the things that we remodeled. Um, and my husband said to me, when we move everything back in, it was a very long project, and I won't go into it now, but we completely redid everything. And, and he said to me, when, you, um, when we put everything back in place, please don't put that big jar of those tacky wooden spoons that you have. I have this big collection of wooden spoons that I have bought every place and garage sales and estate sales and everything like that and some of them are very beat up and very chewed up and they're dark and discolored and all this sort of stuff and I paused for a moment and I said I can't do that that's part of my program and I need to have them out where I can see them see they remind me to not continue to stir up shit Or as we say in Texas, shit. Uh, <laughs> I did that on the... Oh, oh. God, another amend I'm going to have to make. Um, okay. Um, <clears throat> this, last, this last fall, I had some very... Um, a really neat thing. My husband has had some real, real major health issues. And he makes his own doctor's appointments today. But sometimes he asks me to go with him. I'm so grateful. Um, last fall, I had to have um, some minor knee surgery. Minor. It was major for me, minor for you. Um, it was on my body. And, um, uh, and then have some um, steroid treatments. <laughs> Gray bonds. And um, um, physical therapy and, and walking with a walker and walking on crutches and a lot of things and not being able to drive. It was my right foot and I couldn't drive. And, um, and my husband drove me everywhere I needed to go or he ran the errands that I needed to run. And when I would feel so down that this period is never going to leave in my life, he'd say, it's just for today, it's going to be better. Or things will get better. Um... I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I can't tell you the hateful things I said to him when he was sober and when he was drinking. And for him to be willing to do those things for me today is just absolutely beyond my imagination. Um, I, um, I want to thank you all for listening. I was about to start off on another thing, but I want to close by saying that I thank you for inviting me to share. I thank you for listening. I thank you for leading me in this program. 
I thank the long-timers and the old-timers. And I heard one time that it takes five generations of people in recovery for the effects of the disease of alcoholism to be out of that family. My husband and I are the first generation in our family. Please keep the doors open. Keep the chairs available. I have babies that are coming to join you. And I'm staying with you, too, and thank you so much for being a part of my life and my recovery. Presents too. Well, thank you, Ryan L., for putting the rah rah boom today in our uh, recovery rodeo. It's time for lunch, but before I let you go, it's time to review. There will be the workshops back in this room promptly at two. There will be the board meeting over in the Rio Grande room promptly at 4. And then we will resume back in this room tonight for speakers and entertainment and an auction promptly at 7. All right. What a group. Won't you all please join me now in closing with the Al-Anon and Alateen Declaration.